Reflected in the window behind the bell, he can see the URS lieutenant who escorted him to the pavilion. The park ranger who met them there is young and nervous. His hand was sweaty when Lee clasped it, and he stuttered as he commenced a long-winded recital of the bell's history, until Lee politely asked to be left alone. Now they wait patiently behind him, respectfully giving him a few moments alone. Through the pavilion window, on the opposite side of the grassy mall, lies Independence Hall. The reception was already underway, yet Lee's in no hurry to join it, even though the party is being held in honor of him and his crew. It's a distinct privilege to be allowed to view the Liberty Bell, one of the first acts the government took after the revolution was to close the site to the public. Citing the risk of a terrorist attack, the Internal Security Agency claimed that the bell was too valuable to be left unguarded during a national emergency. Yet it's been nearly twelve years since the revolution, and still the Liberty Bell is off-limits to everyone save the party elite. Lee can't help but wonder if the government fears what the average citizen might think if he saw for himself the artifact from which the Liberty Party had taken its name and read the words inscribed upon it. There's still time to call it off. A few words whispered to the right people, a couple of discreet phone calls using innocuous code phrases, and the conspiracy would not so much unravel as it would simply cease to exist. Everyone involved would stop what they were doing and assume fallback positions, and with any luck, the prefects would never know that a conspiracy had existed. Tonight's his last chance to back out. After this, there's no turning back, no acceptable alternative except success. Failure means treason, and treason means death. Which is why he's come here, to this particular place, not as a symbolic display of patriotism, as everyone assumes, but simply to give himself a few minutes to think. So is he going through with this or not? Lee still hasn't answered his own question as he turns away from the bell. The lieutenant snaps to attention. The ranger self-consciously does the same, even though it isn't necessary. All right, lieutenant, he says quietly. I'm done here. Let's go to the party. As appropriate for the 4th of July, the president's reception is being held in the cobblestone square behind Independence Hall. Once the guests make their way through the security checkpoints, they find that an enormous screen has been unfurled across the rear of the red-brick colonial courthouse, upon which real-time images of the Alabama are being projected. Lee ignores the screen as he saunters through the crowd, untasted glass of champagne in his gloved left hand, his right hand held formally behind his back. In the humid warmth of the July evening, his white dress uniform clings to his skin. 
He deliberately arrived after his senior officers. Attending this fete is the last thing he wants to do, yet his appearance is mandatory. Besides, there's one last bit of important business that needs to be settled. So Captain Lee mingles with the gentlemen in their batswing ties and frock coats, and the ladies in their bodices and gowns, smiling and bowing, pausing now and then to shake some stranger's hand or be photographed with another, yet taking care to remain in motion so as not to be cornered for very long. Along the edge of the crowd, he can see the uniforms of U.R.S. soldiers, black berets, jodhpurs tucked into leather knee boots, polished rifles held at parade rest. The red, softball-sized spheres of surveillance floaters hover above the party-goers.